you're going to listen to a podcast, do you like scary podcasts? What's your favorite scary podcast? Well, it better be Guide to the Unknown. Hello, welcome to Guide to the Unknown. I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. And welcome to Slashtober, our first month-long themed series of shows to honor the spookiest season of the month and have some much-needed fun. Yeah, uh, slashers Mm -hmm. uh, offer some of the most visceral horror entertainment. Yes. They also are, I think, a frequently studied subgenre of horror. They certainly are. People seem to be fascinated by the peaks and valleys. When were they popular? When were they terrible? I personally... I'm a gigantic fan of slashers. Obviously, our fandom for the Scream franchise is uh, well documented. Yes, yeah, well, well documented, storied, mm-hmm. um, and Scream was fascinated with slashers itself, right? As a meta horror movie. Yes. So I think that's why I'm going to be starting our discussion here with some of the slasher origins. And to do so, we're going to hear more from our friend Ghostface, mm-hmm. who kicked off this very episode. Excellent. For it was in Scream 4, Kristen, in 2011, that the following uh, um, exchange took place. Okay. Ghostface asking, name the movie that started the slasher craze. Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, or Psycho? Kirby answered Psycho, mm-hmm. only to be... Uh, only to discover that she was... Trick question. Yeah, tricked. None of the above. That was Peeping. pretty good. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Don't pretend I haven't been practicing my ghost face forever. <laughs> I can't pretend because I didn't know. Oh. Peeping Tom, 1960, directed by Michael Powell. First movie to put the audience in the killer's POV. <sighs> and in 2011, you and I are watching this movie in theaters together. It was the first yes. scream that you and I were able to see together yes. in theaters. momentous. I... Clocked this moment as a something to drill deeper into someday. Right. I also didn't know about this. I had never. I still don't. I had never heard of the movie Peeping Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the notion that it is usurping Psycho as the the originator of the slasher genre was news to me. Yeah. I knew, you know, I knew classic stuff. I knew, um, classic is a funny word to use. I knew popular stuff, mm-hmm. I should say. I knew, I did know Texas Chainsaw. Obviously, Friday the 13th, Halloween. Um, but Peeping Tom was completely news to me. And it's in doing my research for this very episode, for our first entry into Slashtober, that I started to look at Scream in yet another new way. Mm-hmm. It occurred to me that Scream is beginning to feel to me like it is its role in society is to make sense of the horror genre periodically. Yeah. Scream yeah, contextualizes it in new ways. Yes. So Scream was, you know, a big new thing that was able to go. We've had decades of these things. What are they? How are they used? What do they do to people? Uh, and then Scream 4 eventually after, you know, a 15 year gap came out and was like, well, here's what's happened since the original Scream. Mm -hmm. And now they're filming, literally right now, in North Carolina, Scream 5. Yep. And part of me almost hopes that it's a a standalone, Mm -hmm. that maybe just Ghostface reappears every 10 years to help us make sense of what's happened to the genre. That would be great. But for sure- I mean, 
it would be great. Any of it's great. Any I'm of it's thrilled. great. I feel similarly about Scream coming back for Scream 5 as I did when Twin Peaks came back after 25 years. It's a treat. Yep. I'm surprised it's even happening. I will take whatever you give me. If it's a one season thing, of course, I'd probably like more, but I'm happy that we even got this. I didn't think it was going to happen. Totally. So as for the new Scream movie... I would like more because, of course, I do. But also, if it's going to be every 10 years, it's going to be every 15 years, like, cool. And sure. anything you want to give me, I will eat up. Yes, I will certainly take what I can get. Mm-hmm. And I should add that, obviously, I don't know, maybe they are planning for this to be the relaunch of Scream and it'll spawn a million movies, one every year. Who knows? I think that pretty much everything, any movie, especially one that's already established as part of a series, they're right. kind of thinking out. They're so thinking I can only more. assume that they're planning on making it a series. Also because it seems like, I don't know anything about the script or the story, none of that is out yet, but just from the casting, it seems like there's a little bit of a next generation flavor to what's happening. Yeah, that- So we might be following kind of a new batch of people eventually throughout sequels. Mm-hmm. So that's just my sense is that they're building for multiples. Yeah, that feels likely to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but without a doubt, Scream, the franchise, has given me my starting point. Yeah. As a franchise that was a study in slashers, it's showing me where to go back to find the answers. Mm-hmm. But before I go back into the origin of the slasher sh- sub- subgenre, I want to do something we haven't done in a while. Kristen, what's your history with slashers? Oh, boy. I mean, I love slashers, one of my favorite genres in general, one of my favorite kind of horror subgenres. Um, I've seen a whole lot of them. I don't care if they're good or bad or whatever. I really, really enjoy them. Yeah. I guess that's the main thing I can say about them. I really like that they're because they're so visceral, they kind of take you out of your head in a way. But at the same time, you're right. If you decide to kind of look at the real lifeness of it or track it as a thing in culture, there's a lot to kind of cerebralize and get into. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of got both for me. It's a little mindless, a little stuff to dig into. Um, They're super, they're fun for the most part. Are there any movies or franchises that spring to mind instantly? I mean, Scream, obviously. Um, The the big ones. I mean, I can't purport to have any sort of like deep cut knowledge of slashers. I've seen a bunch of them, but like, I love Halloween. I like Friday the 13th a lot. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. This is a funny one, too, because Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there are some horror purists out there, maybe people listening to this show that are like, uh, there are all of these obscure slashers that you're not even going to mention. And that may be true, but it's also hard to knock the big guns because some of the the big slashers out there, your Jason Voorhees's, your Michael Myers's, Mm -hmm. have really done masterful work. (laughs) Yes, they're truly master strokes. Yes. So um, what is your history with the slasher genre? I was uh, genuinely afraid of them Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Um, I think I've told this story before, but it's like a good example of how the silliness of a slasher can often be overwritten by how gruesome they are. Yeah. I remember being a kid, probably 10 or 11, and there was a child's play marathon on TV. Mm -hmm. And so I sat there and I watched all of them. I couldn't get over how colorful that franchise was and how silly it was, but also just how brutal some of the kills in there are and chucky is just a a very frightening (laughs) they managed to like for a kid yeah they managed to articulate that that freckly face so that it can sneer and scowl and it just looks those little hands yeah those joints can really move it's disturbing yes 
And uh, right after, uh, I think it was maybe in the middle of the third child's play, dad was like, I told you to mow the lawn. <laughs> go, go outside. Please mow the lawn. Speaking of dad and slashers, I feel like we'd be remiss not to mention the puppy master incident. Oh, my God. That was repeated forever. I forgot about that. Yes. We were like driving around somewhere when we were growing up in Connecticut, I guess. And there was a theater marquee that had a sign for the puppet master. And Will told our dad that he wanted to go see that. He wanted to go see the puppy master. And our dad thought that was so funny. And he told that story a million times because it is a very good story. It's pretty funny. What what movie would puppet masters be? (laughs) You know? And did you see the puppet puppet master remake? No. Me neither. Puppet master and demonic toy are a big blank spot for me yeah same yeah they're they're like a more extreme child's play mm-hmm. where i just imagine it's and all I, like kids sound effects and you know, the sound of turning a jack-in-the-box just yeah i only recently came to child's play anyway so yeah. it's not super surprising i'm not all up on puppet master but i think i heard that the puppet master remake was good I, mm, okay no yeah, seriously i, I think it was like some sort of and I, i'm gonna say it in a way that sounds annoying but i think i heard it was good maybe i'm wrong i just it's I like heard a that, self-aware sort of thing going on that would make sense which you know obviously we both love in scream can go very wrong sometimes sure. so people went when you describe things that way i'm not necessarily right off the bat like well that sounds good i think I it's more a rarity that scream is so awesome but I think that Puppet Master was supposed to be good. Okay. I know that Puppet, Ma- Puppet Master at a certain point was like uh, uh, conflated with Nazi horror. So it's like oh, yeah. maybe the toys are fighting Nazis or they were made by Nazis. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I don't You're know. right. You're yeah. right. Um, but so dad told me to go out to mow the lawn after I had just watched a bunch of child's play movies and the blades of the lawnmower got all <laughs> stuck. The, the grass was too long. I, I waited too long. So I had to flip the mower over and reach my hand into the blade to pull clumps of grass out of it. And I imagined Chucky running up to the mower and yanking the starter. And I just got out of there. I think I left the mower <laughs> upside down and just went inside. I couldn't handle it. That sounds right. It was too funny, much. I don't really remember slashers or any of this stuff scaring me as a kid. It stressed me I out. I was fascinated by it. Yeah. I always watched them. Yeah. I know gore. I've always been like, ugh. But I don't really have any memories of any movies like really scaring me. And I did watch a lot of scary movies. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Wikipedia has a definition for slasher movies, which I found pretty interesting. They say slasher films typically adhere to a specific formula. A past wrongful action causes severe trauma that is reinforced by a commemoration of anniversary that reactivates or re-inspires the killer. Built around stalk and murder sequences, the films draw upon the audience's feelings of catharsis, uh, recreation, and displacement as related to pleasure. Hmm. <laughs> now, I think it's so funny that they were able to define Are you slasher. paraphrasing pleasure or oh, are you yeah. just saying it funny? Okay, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, uh, it's so funny to me that they were able to define slashers so directly. Right. Because... It's it's very, very accurate for a number of different scenarios. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the anniversary thing isn't always there in Slashers, but Not, it often is. Well, they they make a point of saying that it's like either about the anniversary or something that reactivates or re-inspires mm-hmm. the killer. Yeah. So even that could be as something as sim- simple as um, Halloween. Every Halloween, right. Michael Myers is compelled mm-hmm. to go out and kill again. Or Norman Bates peeked through the little peephole at Marion Crane right. taking a shower 
and his yeah his killer drive was reignited you know like so there's there's an activation Mm -hmm. there but at its core one thing that i really want to point out in this is that the slasher origins and much of slashers overall usually it's about a human being with a psychological motive Mm -hmm. and i don't think i ever would have put that fine a point on it particularly in a world where you know, is Michael Myers the, a member of the cult of the Thorn? Mm-hmm. Is Jason Voorhees undead and Freddy Krueger is a dream demon? They're not human. Right. But they are slashers. Mm-hmm. But certainly here at the beginning, the point is, um, you know, we had all of these universal monster movies where you yeah. can see Dracula turn into a bat or Frankenstein's monster be brought to life with electricity. It didn't give quite the same scare as just... A person. A person. A person with a warped mind who's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So um, it's funny. A, a, a lot of my research here, like Wikipedia will also point out that some of the origin of slashers may go back to ancient Rome. Okay. Where people got entertainment from violence. And they're referring to the Roman Colosseum where yeah. Yeah, people that- come to see them. <laughs> and they course. would release lions that would, you know, devour people whole in front of an audience. Yeah, you can draw a line. Yeah, I think you can. My, my gut instinct was that's a very lofty diagnosis. I don't know that it is that lofty. Because it's true. At its basis, it is entertainment from violence. Entertainment from so, violence is yeah. the point. Yes. Um, fast forward to um, the ways that we manage to um, use performance uh to, to tell fictionalized versions of that sort of violence. So they call out the the theater of the great puppet in France, La Theatre de Grand Gounal. Mm-hmm. Grand Gounal being a, a sort of genre unto itself yep. uh, later on. Um, it was a theater in Paris from 1897 to 1962, and it focused on horror shows. Hmm. They would stage plays where people would you know, turn on each other and get killed. There's an image of somebody who uh, their shirt is covered in blood. So they really did get into visceral, frightening uh, uh, murder horror in live theater. And this is, you know, at at the turn of the century, just before Mm -hmm. film becomes increasingly popular and accessible. Precursor to Evil Dead the Musical. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Uh, and then once uh, once we started making movies, we started making horror movies. Yeah. Like right away. But the slasher thing is kind of interesting. Wikipedia calls out a few standouts. They call out a movie called The Spiral Staircase from 1946, which stars Ethel Barrymore. Okay. The great aunt of Drew Barrymore. Yeah. She's one of the protagonists in this movie where a serial killer in black gloves stalks and kills. Mm-hmm. So Drew Barrymore, uh, later of Scream fame, yeah. in the, the iconic opening scene, it runs in the family. Totally. Her great aunt Ethel Barrymore was in a proto-slasher That's way cool. back in the 40s. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it was around this time, around the early 20th century, that crime writers found their books being adapted into movies. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt that there is a, you know, this whole true crime boom, particularly in the last decade, I have endlessly looked at it with curiosity because it's very similar to enjoying a slasher to me. Mm -hmm. And I think the same people that um, derive entertainment or fascination from true crime, frequently I see those same people uh, poo-poo a Texas Chainsaw or a Halloween. I really, 
we're I feel like there's a ton of overlap. There's a ton. There's a, uh, undeniably a ton. Mm. But I also think that it is similarly undeniable that slashers as a, a, a genre have usually been derided, mm-hmm. mocked, yeah, yes, and put down. And true crime, I think, in recent years has become a, a perfectly acceptable form of entertainment for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's about how you do it. We're talking about real people's lives, but the point remains. Yeah. However, around the 20th, early 20th century, this was already happening. Crime writers found their stories being made into movies. Those movies were exaggerated then to derive some thrill out mm-hmm. of crime. They got out slashy. Of, out of murder. They got slashy. Um, so we get uh, movies like a, a film called 13 Women, which was about a sorority being stalked by a killer who is crossing out their yearbook photos. I love a little shtick like that. So do I. Yeah. They they also go ahead and they call out, you know, and then there were none, mm-hmm. which people are dropping dead according to right. a nursery rhyme. Right. I love that like bit of business that the killer is going by. It's a game yes. afoot. Yeah. Um, oddly, later on, I would associate games in movies with like James Wan in The Conjuring mm-hmm. using the clapping game. Right. To invite ghosts to do things. But no, it's it's like very true that like, you know, serial killers have their totems mm-hmm. and they have their methodologies. And that's present in crime writing and frequently present in slasher uh, stories. Um, so, uh, all right, let's now talk about uh, Peeping Tom. Yeah. So this is 1960. As Ghostface said... Uh, 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 it was popularized. It was the 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 movie above even Psycho that popularized the slasher craze, mm-hmm. and Ghostface refers to it as the first movie to put the audience in the killer's POV. Yeah. So, Kristen, what did I do? I watched Peeping Tom. Okay. I am overjoyed that we have ourselves a show mm-hmm. <laughs> where this is some sort of a, a creative intellectual pursuit for me yeah, to yeah. pop on Peeping Tom. Yeah. I, at one point, had um, considered doing a miniseries where I just watch every movie referenced by Scream yep. to sort of cross, cross-reference their inspirations mm-hmm. and, and learn, like really learn what is the history here? What is the history that Scream observed? Yeah. So this is really a taste of that for me. I got to Excellent. watch Peeping Tom. And interestingly, uh, Peeping Tom, Ghostface said this as well, 1960. What else happened in 1960? It's the same year Psycho was released. Mm-hmm. In 1960. So just squeaked it out? Yes. In 1960, Peeping Tom came out in April. Whereas Psycho didn't come out until June at the earliest because okay. of different screenings. That's and so things. close. So close. So similar. Yeah. Something I'm going to do here, I'm going to talk about Peeping Tom for a little bit. Okay. I'm going to try not to really spoil it. Mm-hmm. This movie is 60 years old and I recommend people go watch it. It is very Hitchcockian. Yeah. Michael Powell, who directed it, worked with Hitchcock. Hmm. And you watch this movie and I'm telling you, you can feel Hitchcock's DNA in this movie. You can feel the hitch. You definitely can feel the hitch. The movie is primarily about a man named Mark Lewis. And the opening shots of this film are of a camera, of an old 1960s, you know, cranking video camera. It's got three lenses on the front. And our camera, the movie POV camera, is pushing into the lenses. Mm. The next thing we see is from the point of view of that camera itself as our main character, Mark Lewis, walks down the street 
and hires a lady. Okay. And takes her to a room and will eventually kill her. Mm -hmm. This is very similar to the opening of Halloween 1978, where Michael Myers, we view the opening of that movie through his eyes as he walks through the house and kills his older sister. It is the same. Mm -hmm. It is here. In 1960, two months before Psycho. Cool. Within this movie, uh, we see that Mark Lewis is a photographer on movie sets. He also does gentlemen's magazines. Sure. But don't get me wrong. This Mark Lewis is no gentleman. (laughs) This movie sounds racy for 1960. Insanely racy, Kristen. I'm surprised. Insanely racy. Yeah. Um, This movie and Psycho both would go on to receive a ton of backlash. Yeah. They were both called sleazy. Right, but it sounds like, I mean, I haven't seen it, but like Psycho sounds, I mean, I've seen Psycho. Psycho is arguably quaint by this That's what I'm saying. It sounds kind of tame next to this. it's true. Um, Now Psycho would go on to be nominated for Academy Awards. Yeah, right. And Peeping Tom was largely um, ripped apart and left Hmm. in the gutter. I think Hmm. the modern mindset for people who are in the know, evidently now I'm one of them, it is respected. But it is forgotten, huh? Certainly by comparison to Psycho. Do you know how Alfred Hitchcock felt about it? About his protege coming out with this and like kind of beating him to the punch a little bit. Interesting. And being so similar. I, 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 part of me thinks I read something that said Hitchcock liked it. Oh, okay. That's I good. don't want to go on the record it's with sporting. That. Yeah, it is sporting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what one of the things I did read was that. Alfred Hitchcock may have changed some of his release plans Mm. after seeing what happened in the backlash to Peeping Tom. Interesting. He did not hold advanced screenings for Psycho, and some theorize it's because word had started to come out about Peeping Tom from an advanced screening that it was horrible. Yeah. And so he, I think, avoided doing that himself. Um, So uh, Mark Lewis is a photographer, Mm -hmm. and uh, eventually it is revealed that his father... Norman Bates had his issues with his mother. Mark Lewis has issues with his father. Mark Lewis's father was a psychiatrist who studied fear. Mm. And he would film his son. Oh, boy. And he would scare him. He would throw a lizard in the kid's bed in the middle of the night to wake him up and then film his face. He filmed his son saying goodbye to his mother on her deathbed. And he filmed his son when he met her replacement. Mm -hmm. Uh, He mentally tortured his son. And now grown-up Mark Lewis views the entire world through a camera. Yeah. He films every single thing that he does. There's a dose of Francis Dollarhide to this character, I think. Um, the aspect of Francis Dollarhide from Red Dragon, mm-hmm. another Hannibal Lecter story, um, where he is obsessed with home movies right. of women and shoots his own and screens them in front of a blind woman who can't see what he's watching. Kristen, that happens here. Oh. In 1960s Peeping Tom. It happens in this movie. Wow. There, uh, huh. he, he hears the voice of his father, disembodied, similar to Norman Bates speaking to mother, similar to Pamela Voorhees in Friday the 13th, hearing mm-hmm. Jason urge her to kill. Uh, it all takes place largely on movie sets. So you see characters that are themselves performers. Hmm, like Actors, Psycho 2. Sure, like Psycho 2 or like Scream. Yes. A lot of it is arguably self-reflective and meta. Mm -hmm. This character Mark Lewis is filming all the time because while he works on movie sets, he's making a documentary of his own. Oh, wow. How appropriate for it to be the slasher mentioned in Scream 4. Yeah. 
where the the villains right. are filming They're everything that goes thing. on. They're doing the same thing. Yeah, they have like head cam, like GoPros on. Yes. It was a very rewarding experience. Cool. Kristen, to watch this movie. Um, it sounds good. I want to watch it. It was really fascinating. The killer has um, a, a sort of uh, modus operandi which is slowly revealed over the course of the movie and is very satisfying to find out what he is up to in full. He uses his camera as a murder weapon itself, the tripod, uh, one of the legs Mm -hmm. he uses as a murder weapon. Um, It's all about his psychological state, and he seems puzzled about it himself. Hmm. He speaks to a psychiatrist at one point. Like Norman Bates, at least in the book, Psycho. Absolutely. Yeah. He, uh, at one point, the police come around to investigate the murders, and he immediately grabs his camera and starts filming. Um, he just can't, he can't resist being part of it. Hmm. Here's, um, here's a quote that I want to, um, read from the movie, which I thought was really interesting and speaks more to the slasher notion at play. Because truthfully, when you do look back at this movie, it does have a lot of the slasher tropes, uh, here. Uh, so the, the main character, Mark Lewis is speaking to somebody who's his victim. She doesn't know she's his victim yet. He's playing it cool. She needs help getting into character for a scene. He's filming her and she's supposed to look scared. Oh boy. So here's what he he says. He knows how to do this. Imagine a person coming toward you who wants to kill you regardless of consequences. She asks, a madman? And that's also how she pronounces it. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. A madman? A madman? Yes, but he knows it and you don't. And just to kill you isn't enough for him. And I really think some of the thrill you get from this movie is about being in the killer's shoes. Yeah, and knowing what's coming. Yes. Yeah, I could completely see that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so that is what really makes it different from, you know, um, you'll get somewhat into Halloween, which, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, I am about to hand off very soon. Mm -hmm. But... um, like at a certain point, we we I I think we started to side a lot with the final girl trope. Yeah, who is our heroine? Who is our hero? Um, but even still, I think a lot of audiences when they watch a slasher, even if Jason Voorhees isn't on screen all the time, the fact that we know he's out there, yeah, and that these characters have no shot, we are effectively still seeing this from their perspective. Yes, yes. Um, so. Obviously, Peeping Tom came out. As I said, it was sort of ripped apart. Um, Psycho would come out within a couple of months. And there's nothing I can say that has not already been said about Mm -hmm. Psycho. It was, um, even though it was similarly derided, it was also acclaimed. Yeah. And insanely influential. And like a lot of influential movies, it resulted in a gigantic pop of activity. The success of Psycho. the, The Academy Awards nominated to Psycho influenced people like you know big name performers to start dabbling in horror the the genre of horror suddenly had a claim to it yeah it was legitimized absolutely um and so here's some of the aftermath of these two original slashers um there were a lot of movies like straight jacket or berserk both of which obviously play on the notion of madness or insanity um but to me this is really more about evolution this evolution of horror. Films, again, had given us monsters. They'd given us the Wolfman. But now we were getting human beings mm-hmm. like this Mark Lewis or Norman Bates. Mark Lewis, by the way. The is human totally, monster. The human monster. Mark Lewis as a name is also mundane. Yeah. Arguably so was Norman Bates at one time. It, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. It became a thing. Yes, but Norman Bates carries so much weight. And if I say Mark Lewis to you, 
What does that mean? Yeah. Nothing. It mm-hmm. means nothing. It's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, we started getting splatter films and giallo films. These were Italian movies which like to uh, mix eroticism with the slasher. Mm-hmm. But that really took off. Yeah. It really popped. It was very like pulpy sort mm-hmm. of stories. Nobody was really doing it with the sort of import that came with Peeping Tom or Psycho, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. However, in the 70s, we would get um, a lot of movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Black Christmas, yep. which was a slasher focused on a sorority on a holiday. So again, fitting that vibe of it's an anniversary-ish mm-hmm. thing. Every yeah. Christmas, presumably, this may have happened. The killer calls and harasses the girls of the sorority, one of whom is Margot Kidder. Mm-hmm. Another one, uh, another person in the movie, I think he plays a cop in it, is Jonathan Saxon, oh. who I think uh, was in Halloween, mm-hmm. I want to say. I don't or, know. Maybe, maybe Friday, uh, maybe A Nightmare on Elm Street. The name is ringing a bell, but I'm not sure. Yeah. But the template to me was like really getting sort of like tightened up. Yeah. Now we're going to, uh, we know our sort of basic format, mm-hmm. but it's time for we somebody. It works. It's time for somebody to take that ball and really carry it. Something big needs to happen again. Mm-hmm. Is between, you know, between Texas Chainsaw, Black Christmas, and Peeping Tom and Psycho, it had been 14 years. Right. And they were sort of just uh, spinning their wheels. Yeah, they like happened, but there wasn't really a big boom. There wasn't that a kind big of... important one. Uh, not another big influencer. Right. Another one last notable thing to say about this era. This was also, the 70s was also the era of Zodiac mm-hmm. and Ted Bundy. Yeah. And Son of Sam. And all of these real life killers who seemed at that time ripped from the movies. Mm-hmm. There was not a lot of discernible difference between a Ted Bundy and a Norman Bates. Yeah. Very, very similar. And so was it art imitating life or vice versa? But either way, the popularity continued. That's right. Mm. And then there was another big boom. Yes. That we'll talk about after we tell you about ourselves. Yes. If you are listening to this and enjoying it, we're very happy about that. We would like to invite you to follow us online. You can find Guide to the Unknown everywhere at GTTU Pod. You can join our Facebook group, the Guide to the Unknown Secret Society, by searching that in Facebook. And we would also love it if you came over and hung out with us and a whole bunch of people over at patreon.com slash GTTU Pod, where if you don- donate $4 or more per month, you get a bonus episode of the podcast every month on the 13th, as well as a live monthly planning session where Will and I open up our spreadsheet, talk to everybody live in the chat, and plan out the next month of shows. So everybody who's over on patreon.com slash pod has known that Slashtober was coming for the last month, and they influenced it coming together. Mary Rose, who's one of our patrons, came up with the name. So we would love to have you over there, and we also really, really appreciate the support so definitely go check out our patreon yeah um yeah guide to the unknown honestly more and more it's becoming just a repository for new knowledge mm-hmm. particularly in this episode and hopefully for the rest of Slashtober. i've always had a major curiosity about what makes these things tick behind the scenes where did they come from where might they go in the future mm-hmm. because these are all lessons learned that we could apply yes. in making things yes um kristen and i are big makers here mm-hmm. and it is on that tip that i also want to alert you all that Blair Witch, the new immersive hunt-a-killer experience, is coming. Many people have already ordered it. Uh, if you go to huntakiller.com slash Blair Witch, 
keep an eye out for your opportunity to order some boxes. I've already seen it arriving in some people's hands. Oh, cool. Some people have already awesome. received theirs. So to be clear, William has co-written this story that right. lives in the Blair Witch universe. This is totally all official stuff, but it's a game that you can play. It's almost like you get to play a new movie. Right. Yes. A woman is looking for her missing child in Burkittsville, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Can you help her? Right. What do you think? Can you? I bet you can. So it's both physical items. There are some online components. It's very, very cool. And our very own Will Rogers wrote it. Yeah. Well, partially, partially wrote, wrote it. it. Partially wrote, wrote it. Along with Eleanor Haney, Travis Madden. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Definitely check it out. Huntakiller.com slash Blair Witch. This is not an advertisement from the company. No. They just pay me because I work for them. So they pay my mortgage. But- I'm very excited about this. Yeah, you know, somebody... I'm like really personally excited about this, and I just hope you all like it. So, one of our listeners, Steffi, posted in that Goddamn Known group in Facebook today and said that she is either going back and listening for the first time or re listening to old episodes. And we have an episode about the Blair Witch and she said it's so cool to hear you guys talking about it and you're obviously like so enthusiastic about it you both love it so much and now Will is working on it and so to listen to that segment with today's knowledge of Will working on it is so cool it's pretty unreal yeah. I, no one knows the, the future I never could have anticipated this it's awesome um, that was a couple years ago that we did that episode yeah, and this episode, wasn't even in the works episode 51 I, I think it was know. episode 51. But yeah, uh, uh, we did War of the Worlds and Blair, which yes. was a great double feature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, huntakiller.com slash Blair Witch. There's also, if you love Guide to the Unknown, and I hope you do, there's some Guide to the Unknown flavor hidden somewhere around there. You might come across it. You also might not. But uh, <laughs> I did some some scripting and I did some uh, directing and some editing and you might get some Guide to the Unknown flavor in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so go poking around, go digging. There's mm -hmm. the game itself and and then there's also stuff I hid in there that nobody will necessarily notice, but maybe you will. That's awesome. Huntakiller.com slash Blair Witch. That's right. <laughs> All right. So now let's talk about what is known as the golden age of slashers. This is recognized as being from 1978 to 1984. And there were over 100 slashers released in those six years. Wow. Obviously not all like acclaimed or famous. Most of them aren't. But the studios were pumping them out because yeah. they were popular. So they were kind of striking while the iron was hot. What ushered this in? Halloween, the movie Halloween by John Carpenter. So that basically set the standard when it came out in 1978 for a lot of slashers to do sort of a cut and paste method of storyboarding. There's an anonymous bad guy stalking teenagers mostly. And also it set this template for the virgin making it to the end of the movie, the virgin being the final girl and the people who are having sex or just sexual people, people sure. who have that kind of like vibe and air and jokiness um, being killed. So it set up a trope of virgin equals make it, sex equals killed um although john carpenter said that that wasn't intentional yeah. in halloween but everybody kind of took it and run with it well it's or ran with it because it doesn't even necessarily be, need to be intentional it's evident yeah it's, it's, what, there. it's what happens in the movie yeah one thing that uh, uh laurie strode does break a scream rule in the movie mm -hmm. though she smokes a joint that's right so with she's annie not in the car innocent mm -hmm. that's right but, but she I was also the first so 
And I guess it's not that big a deal. Sure. I mean, I guess back then it was a little more of a big deal, obviously. But yeah, still. oh, it's still a big deal today. No, I know, but like, yeah. it's legal a million places yes. today. Then it wasn't. But even so, I feel like even back in the seventies, on the scale yeah. of bad and scary things, it was almost expected that teenagers are going to like smoke a joint at some point. Yeah, true. You know, it's a little bit less looming and scary than if they have sex and what that means and right. how that can be threatening, especially for girls being sexual. That's like threatening in some way so i feel like on the, the scale of virginal activity it's only like er, a little bit above yeah it. right um so obviously halloween is huge and iconic now but i didn't know this at all all the major studios passed on it when it was first shopped around hmm. did you know that no i didn't it was shopped around without music um that's not necessarily the reason that it got passed on but I, the music is great yeah i feel like it adds something to it that's really significant so if you've I ever seen a rough role. cut of something or mm-hmm. heard a rough cut of something yeah. it can be brutal you have to have imagination while you're watching it yeah absolutely yeah. and the music for halloween is so like moody yeah. they put it in place it, it and it's mostly the same batch of notes over and over again at least that initial like just solo piano mm-hmm. kind of part that you can think of but even that is just they add it in places sometimes where it like really makes a big impact like it'll just be somebody walking down the street but that music comes in yeah and all of a sudden even though it's daytime it's ominous and dangerous a so i percent. can see how if you took that out it has a little bit less of an impact <laughs> you're just left with scenes of jamie lee curtis walking down just the walking holding books yeah yeah totally (laughs) uh so he ended up adding in the music himself and he distributed it locally with some small company in just four kansas city theaters at first and it was a big hit throughout those four locations and the word of mouth made it snowball to the point that it got selected to screen at the chicago film festival and that's a big deal and once it went there a lot of people didn't like it But some critics loved it and really lauded it. So it ended up becoming distributed worldwide and it became this like really – no, it became the most profitable indie film ever until it was unseated inevitably by Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1990. Is that right? Yes. Oh, that's so funny. I know. I know. I had – no idea about the beginnings for Halloween like that. I no. thought it was made like any other studio film because it's it's really one of my favorite movies. I remember yeah. last year we did like a listener questions episode where we listed our top five top five favorite horror movies and it was in there for me i i love halloween yeah it, it really to me is like sort of like a gold standard of of what this genre can be it completely is and I, obviously a lot of other people felt that way because it got copied and copied and copied which know, isn't always necessarily a bad thing i know i know so many people that just call it boring I think it's so To me, I, I love the pace of it. I, I love, these are just people that don't know what they're up against. I like a lot of things that people think are boring. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah I, I just love it. I think I also, it's so good. Even on the copycat tip, something mm-hmm. that I'm uh, low-key fascinated by, 1960s Psycho, boom, a, a, a huge burst of imitators. Yeah. It takes almost 20 years, 18 years to get to Halloween. Boom. Huge burst of imitators. Yep. It takes almost another 20 years to get to Scream. Boom. More imitators. Like every 20 years, somebody comes along and evolves it more. They tighten it up or they have something new to say that's real. I know. That makes everyone take note. And so that would make us like about due just about now. I wonder if it's not the same. It's not. mm, No. I was going to say 
I feel like Get Out was a little bit of a turning point in horror most recently. It's not a slasher, though. Yeah. But we're talking about slashers like 20 years, 20 years, boom, and there hasn't been one. What if Scream 5 does something? That would be wonderful. It would be I, really I would, cool. I would love nothing more than for Scream 5 to come out and really have something they're trying to say. Yeah. To me, those movies always end up having something to say. They have a point. Mm-hmm. They're not just a movie. I know, And I think that the chances are pretty good. The people yeah. who are making it are interesting. I, I, I really did love Creatives. Ready or Not. I did too. Yeah. So it's not totally impossible. So I wanted to see what critics said about it at the time. I was just curious about this big boom and it being kind of like critically well received for something that is like a slasher and doesn't have, even though it's 20 years later, almost 20 years later, it still doesn't have like the seriousness of Psycho. Mm -hmm. There's like a respectability to Alfred Hitchcock as like, you know, an auteur and everything. And Uh, John Carpenter isn't the same way. So I was interested in what the critics said about it. There's a scene in Halloween where his cigarette smoke billows into the Yeah, frame. totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's what they said, and I included these two because they play into things a little bit later and things take a turn. We're going to talk about what Siskel and Ebert separately said about it. This is before they kind of teamed up. Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune, and they're both from Chicago, which is where the film festival was, so I thought that'd be interesting, gave the film three and a half stars out of four and calls it, quote, a beautifully made thriller that, quote, works because its director Carpenter knows how to shock while making us smile. He repeatedly sets up anticipation of a shock and delays that shock for varying lengths of time. The tension is considerable. More than once during the movie, I looked around just to make sure that no one weird was sitting behind me. (laughs) Pretty good. Um, Roger Ebert also liked it, uh, which is kind of surprising because he was like a vocal hater of slashers. But he said it was, quote, a visceral experience. We aren't seeing the movie. We're having it happen to us. It's frightening. Maybe you don't like movies that are really scary. Then don't see this one. Hmm. And then Ebert also selected it as one of his top 10 films of 1978, which is especially surprising considering what comes later from Siskel and Ebert about horror movies. So there were plenty of negative criticisms, but also a fair amount of people who were impressed by the camera work, the music, and the lack of gore. And I hadn't thought about it before, but I wonder if that's part of the reason I love it. Because I don't love gore. Yeah. Um... And it really has like almost nothing. So I wonder if I don't have that same kind of tension of like, okay, I'm gonna have to like squint my eyes soon. So I don't see like this really disgusting thing. And I can just purely enjoy the movie's tension. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting though, to me too, because the thing that immediately makes me think of when we did our Scream 4 commentary, I feel like you called out the viciousness of one of the kills in that movie as a positive. I uh, don't remember. Olivia, but it could she's be. killed in the bedroom, and her like. Oh yeah, I know. Bloods I know. all over the walls, and you seem to really like that. Yeah, I do. Nothing's in motion in that though. Mm-hmm. Ghostface, when he kills, we see some brutality. Yeah, but then everything after that is very stationary. Yeah, no, I do really love that. I guess I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Some gore. You know what? I think it's some gore is gross to me, and some isn't. It's not. It's just a little literal grossness where right. I'm like, ugh, that I don't like gore. I don't mind. I watch. A million things that have gore. Might also be about the language of a movie, you know? Yeah, maybe. Halloween sets its own language in Mm -hmm. place that apparently works for you. Yeah, And uh, maybe there are a lot of movies. A lot of movies, when they revel in showing you gross stuff, I tune out because it makes me feel like their priority is odd. Yeah, yeah. It makes me feel like their priority was in the grossness itself. Yeah, like I really, besides like Saw, just because I like the story and then I just hang with it, I like don't like torture porn stuff. Like there are a lot of movies that I know are uh they get really good reviews or they got really good reviews but i haven't seen some just like i want to see that like audition yeah whatever 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't like gore, but I don't mind it. And I guess, I guess sometimes I do. Cause you're right. I do think that scene in Scream is really like, whoa. It's also partially because I'm like, this is like almost a different kind of killer. You're seeing a little bit of that killer's personality yeah. in that like Ghostface kills other people, but it's always like, not always, but like often kind of stayed in a way. And then that scene with Olivia, there's like disembowelment, like stabbing through the hand, all this stuff that I feel is showing you that like, this is a different thing we're kind of dealing with right it's now. It's telling you about the person that's under that mask. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's characterization, which it should be. Right. And, so like, maybe that's kind of what I respond to about that. Because it's not just the the slash fest where I'm like, yeah, right. get it. It's like, oh, what does this mean? Yeah. A, a kill scene in a slasher movie is similar to how an action scene should work. Mm-hmm. Or to, honestly, how like a sex scene should op- sometimes work where it's like, it's about the way that these characters go about performing this action. Yeah. Their character still needs to be a part of what they are doing. Right. And so I think in Scream 4, part of it was they wanted to up the viciousness because it's 2011 now. Yeah. But I also do think that it, for me, it did set a tone of like, these kids are particularly, mm-hmm. particularly brutal. Yeah, exactly. And sociopath. They're like frenetic. They're frenetic. In a way yeah. that the other killers we've seen in Scream haven't been. So right. yeah, it was a little bit of a, a look at what kind of killer we're dealing yes. with, I think. Um, okay, so here are some others that happened during this 1978 to 84 boom. Uh, there, there are lots and lots of lesser knowns, but kind of like what we talked about in the beginning, I'm going to be shouting out some of the big guys because it's interesting to me how all this goes down and how they become the big guys. But I'm yeah. sure there are a lot of other slashers I'm not going to talk about that are like really cool or fun or whatever. Uh, the next year, When a Stranger Calls, was a relatively big hit. And we actually did a segment on this. You did it in episode 57. Hmm. So you might know about this. It stars Carol Kane as a babysitter who gets threatening calls from inside the house. What? So that was kind of the first post-Halloween slasher movie that like was sort of a hit. Then things take sort of an interesting turn just culturally the next year in 1980. Reagan becomes president and there's a wave of new concern about violence in film, partially in response to the slashers being popular Halloween. Also because he was a mega conservative and conservatives, you know, get up in arms about these sorts of things. So his conservative cronies are stirring stuff up about it. So slashers, which were arguably at their most popular at this time, two years post Halloween also become politicized. This is the same year, too, that Friday the 13th comes out, introducing us to Jason, obviously. Mm. And he's the first. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I mean, it kind of does. They talk about him. You're correct. You're right. Never mind. Uh, That was a little incorrect editorializing on my part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Friday the 13th certainly does come out. Name the killer in Friday the 13th. (laughs) Jason. 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 (laughs) I'm sorry. That's the wrong answer. Uh, okay. So. I really want to watch that again. I know. It's so it, good. It's, it's, we should mention, because we're talking about it so much, we have commentaries for all four screen movies over on patreon.com slash Pod. So what you can do is, like, you put on this commentary, there's, um audio and video versions and then we tell you when to press play on your copy of scream and it's will and i talking like it's a dvd commentary for scream about the movie about our thoughts about it for all four of the scream movies so super fun i guess we'll save reciting scream lines for that probably i may not have seen any of them since we did our i don't think i have either yeah yeah 
Um, so anyway, Friday the 13th, it did really well, but it was less well received by critics than Halloween. Um, Siskel and Ebert, who surprisingly liked Halloween, hated Friday the 13th. <laughs> Siskel went really hard on it. He called the director slash producer Sean C. Cunningham, quote, one of the most despicable creatures ever to infest the movie business. <laughs> and he spoiled the third act reveal in the third paragraph of his review saying, it has been suggested to me that a great way to keep people from seeing a truly awful movie is to tell them the ending. And then he told the ending. What? He encouraged readers to write letters of complaint to the company that owned Paramount at the time and also to Betsy Palmer, who's in the movie. And I want to mention also we talked specifically about Betsy Palmer, who plays Pamela Voorhees in episode six of Guides the Unknown. Wow. So he went to town on Siskel. it. I know. He hated it. So... Friday the 13th was a turning point, even though it wasn't as huge as Halloween. Yeah. It basically set a new bar for what was allowed in R-rated movies as far as gore. And people really criticized the MPAA about it. Now, whatever your opinion about is about the movie, you can't deny that it's influential, even though it looks like no biggie now, that gore. But that was like, we're allowing this? Right. Okay, the floodgates are open. So the next year in 1981, slashers didn't do quite as well, but it's not necessarily the end of the boom. Um, it kind of signals a little bit of a decline, though. Sequels for Halloween and Friday the 13th both came out that year and both made around half as much as the originals did. But studios, studios were still pumping out slashers, hoping that they're going to find the next big hit, the next yeah. Halloween, the next Friday the 13th. And I thought this was very interesting. It's also just a cultural thing that affected the way this boom worked. The next big hit could have been My Bloody Valentine. Paramount thought that it was going to be. But amid conservative pressure about violence in movies from the conservatives, oops, I said conservative pressure, coupled with the death of John Lennon, Oh, because it was so disturbing yeah. worldwide Mark that David this Chapman. like this like I first of all musical icon, yeah. but also kind of like symbol of peace was killed violently. They decided to heavily edit the movie and kind of turn down some of the gore. And it's still like a fairly gory movie, sure. But I guess they were going to be going harder with it, and they thought that was what audiences were into. Like Friday the Thirteenth did well; it was the goriest wide release movie really to that point and so they were going to maybe turn up the volume a little bit and they ended up turning it down and it flopped huh. it could have been because of that or maybe it was just because people weren't into it Who sure knows? yeah the next year in 1982 following that kind of flop studios started going direct to video with slashers they were still making them but they were spending less money on them because they were making less money so now the horror movie section at the video store starts to become a real thing and a place that you could find slashers that you wouldn't know about otherwise which I love the idea that must have been so oh, yeah. exciting to be like a hardcore horror slasher fan and now you can find new stuff directly yeah. like I'm sure there are people for the first who, time ever right like I'm sure there are people who had a little bit of for lack of a better term because i bet i would feel, feel this way um snobbishness about it where it's like well why wasn't this in theaters it's probably not that good but there are also people who are just like voracious and want to absorb all of it and then it's like really awesome that you can just go across the street and get it yeah so it wasn't all tapes though they were still making movies that went to theater such as friday the 13th part three which did better than the second 
and knocked E.T. out of the number one spot at the box office. Jason knocked out E.T.? Yes, which is very surprising to me. Wow. Well, he got his hockey mask. He got his hockey mask. part three. Exactly. So now the icon is in place. And I guess it gives people something to grab onto. It's fun. It's exciting. It's a thing like Michael Myers that is now in everybody's minds. So its success still seemed like an outlier because over the next couple of years, fewer and fewer slashers were made, both to straight to video and in theaters until a new big boy entered the scene just as the golden age of slashers was coming to an end in 1984 a nightmare on elm street gave the genre a boost by giving slashers a supernatural twist it was something that we haven't seen so far in this boom because as you said everything was like a human at least the popular ones yeah a human doing things to other humans this is some sort of like weird nightmare demon thing yet it still has a lot of slasher flavor and people were way into it so apparently west craven had been developing a nightmare on elm street since 1981 right in the middle of the craze he wanted to capitalize on it when it was really hot but like it got waylaid things happened and when he saw that the slasher boom was coming to an end and that people weren't going to see them as much they weren't making them as often he had to put some mustard on it and get it on out there and it was a huge hit making new line cinema a major company and having it nicknamed the house that freddy built that's right and again i want to mention we have a patreon episode all about nightmare on elm street it's bonus episode number seven very good Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I I think that that's interesting as well. I don't think that I had really considered it in those terms. I also wanted to do at some point a show that I would have watched every uh, horror movie in order. And I uh, probably the subgenre I would have started with would have been slashers Mm -hmm. to see how they influenced each other. Yeah. Now knowing, and I had not known that this before this episode, that they'd all been humans up until Nightmare on Elm Street. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Jason Voorhees takes a lot in the 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 first few Friday the Thirteenth movies, mm-hmm. but arguably in them, yeah, we're he's presented. still supposed to be h- human. Yes, he's still supposed to be alive. You can argue he's undead because they say he drowned as a kid, right? But they never put a fine point on that. It still is a problem today. Still, yes. people go like, "What is he?" Because they yeah. never bothered to define it. But, but we think of him as a human, as a human up until he's killed right. in part four. In this. At this point. At this point. Yeah. And it's really with Freddy that they start going like, oh, they can be more. Mm -hmm. So Michael Myers is suddenly starting to become some sort of like a Celtic cult figure. Right. In the third one. And Jason becomes undead. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, they were all human. Mm -hmm. Even even Leatherface is disgusting, but he's a human. Yeah. Yeah, Freddy is the one that changed it. Yeah. That's very interesting. I know. It's it's really, really cool. I'm also interested that um I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre must have done well. Yeah. I didn't really look into it for this, but I'm surprised it's not kind of lumped in. I know it's a few years prior to the right. golden age. Maybe they sort of define the golden age from volume because so many slashers were made during that time. But, I, you know, Leatherface is like kind of one of the big boys. He really is. You in know, 1974. So, yep. So it's four years before yeah. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and it fits with a lot of the, the tropes, obviously. Yeah. I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a stigma to it that it is dirty mm-hmm. and nasty. I don't love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. I feel that way about it. I think a lot of people don't like to look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I kind of feel that way about it. I mean, I've seen it. 
a handful of times. Sure. But it's definitely not one of my favorites that I like go to and deliberately watch repeatedly or anything. Yeah, it's got it's got to me uh it's it's to me it's hard to knock the importance of a lot of these movies. Mm-hmm. So to me it's 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 part of the lineage of everything. Yeah, it completely is. But when you watch it to me it's really a handful of standout moments mm-hmm. rather than like the movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I also it's just a preference thing. I don't like uh, like very claustrophobic horror movies generally like I don't necessarily love home invasion movies where you like can't get away from the people right. who are in your house and Friday or not Friday the 13th um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is kind of like that because even when they get away from the farm they go talk to somebody who they think is safe and they're actually in on it Yeah, like those I don't know they just I don't like they make me feel claustrophobic it's the intended purpose but I don't enjoy that sensation the way I might enjoy the, the tension of somebody running after somebody or walking slowly slowly right. and knowing that they're going to get that. Yeah, for sure. It, I get that. I don't love it. Um, so Nightmare on Elm Street was the last big slasher hit of that era and directed videos as well as TV really became the jam after that for a while. For a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really, it's fun. Yeah. I'm very happy yeah. that we are at this point where we are able to look yeah. closer at what slashers are. Mm-hmm. It's fun to drill into a, a subgenre. It is. You know? It is. And do like a series. I know. Of yeah. Them. We've got I've got some really fun ideas for the next few episodes of the month. Mm-hmm. I really I want to do some off the wall stuff. Yep. I want to get weird, but here for the very beginning of our Slashtober yeah. series, we wanted to really look at the beginning. That's right. So of course there's more. Of course. Of course there's more. Of course there's more that happened in the late 80s and obviously in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that we're going to touch on those things. I think we have to. But as an I think exploration. We have to talk about the boom yeah. of scream knockoffs. Yeah. Urban yeah. legend. Yep. I know what you did last summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, these things left the an Friday imprint. the 13th remake. I know. Oh boy. Yeah. I've been doing a Friday the 13th rewatch. Yes. The entire franchise. There are a couple of entries in there I had never seen. Mm hmm. And I am uh, really, really enjoying myself. Yeah. Uh, in a way that, like, I had never, Friday the 13th, never, Jason Voorhees as an icon is interesting, but he never lived up to Michael Myers, who I always felt like I know could do better. Do you feel differently now? I'm very impressed with the Friday the 13th movies, uh, the, the vibe of them. Yeah. Maybe not the movie. This is a very odd point to make, but I'm, I, I think it does make sense what I'm about to say. The individual movies, by and large, are not very good. Mm-hmm. However... There's still the imprint of the idea of Jason yeah. left in your mind when the movie is off mm-hmm. that I find very interesting now. I get that. My my vantage point of it all has shifted a lot. And also, I have finally seen Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I still have to watch it. Genuinely really enjoyable. Evidently, uh, Tom McLaughlin, who directed and wrote that movie, was later offered Scream because of his work in that movie, which melded comedy and horror so well. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream, may have even been inspired by the comedy horror hybrid of Friday the 13th Part 6 to create Scream in the first place. So really, Friday the 13th Part 6 might be the 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 father yeah. of the thing that has like greatly influenced me. Yeah, I got to watch that. It, you've really got to check it out. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Especially in contrast to some of the worst part yeah. of the 13th entries. It's like a finding a bar of gold. Yeah, I've only seen 1, 2, 3, and 10. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 1, 2, 3, I like a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, 4, I'll accept. Mm-hmm. 5 is rough. 
Okay. Six is great. Yeah. And they thought that uh, uh, it was bad too because nobody went to go see it, but no one went to go see it because five was horrible. Right. So then they were they it's learned not its fault. They learned the wrong lesson. Yeah. And started making bad movies again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there you go. But uh, uh, yeah, slashers. I the, know. the beginnings of slashers from truly its nascent stages in crime stories and theater and the Roman Coliseum. Right. Up to. What would you t- the golden era? Yes, the golden era, seventy-eight to eighty-four. Oh, my let's God. start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. I think it's from Sound of Music. Oh, were they talking about slasher movies? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll find another one. Mm-hmm. I think the modern era of slashers. I think they're learning really good lessons from the past. I thought Happy Death Day. Oh yeah, no. There's some really good slashers that have come out was you know, outstanding in the last few years. Yeah, obviously, uh, uh, Ready or Not is arguably not a slasher. I would call it a slasher. It's sort of an inversion of a slasher, eh, where our heroine, yes, but... our heroine, is almost uh, Jason Voorhees. Yeah, but <laughs> she's like, sort of systematically. She is, but everybody else is the bad guy. Yeah. Oh, undeniably, yeah. undeniably. Yeah. But you know, she's the force. Yes. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess if you're going by that definition of slashers that you read at the top. You're right, it is an inversion in that way. But still, everything else, thematically, whatever, yeah. it feels like a slasher. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm really excited to see what comes next. And I'm really yeah. excited to see what comes next later in this month That's as right. Slashtober mm-hmm. has finally kicked off everyone. That's right, as it barrels on. So thank you so much for joining us for the beginning of it. Make sure you go to gttupod.com to check out links for everything that we talked about in the middle of the show. You can find the Patreon there. You can find our Facebook community, all of our social media. And you can also find merch. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, gttupod.com has got everything you need to the greater world of Guide to the Unknown. But something that has struck me in this particular episode is how much we talked about our past. Yeah. gttupod.com also has links to every previous episode mm-hmm. we've ever done. Episode 51, where we talked about Blair Witch. Yep. And I know we got into some of the, if you enjoyed our discussion here, which was somewhat about the industry of slasher mm-hmm. and the inspiration of slasher, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, we really did get into some of the behind the scenesness of Blair Witch Project. I think so. Go check that out. That's episode 51. Uh, hit up huntakiller.com slash Blair Witch while you're doing that and check out what I've been working on. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can check out our discussion of Pamela Voorhees in episode six, like we talked about. You can find that there. You can go listen to Patreon episode seven about Nightmare on Elm Street. We definitely have touched on things today that we have discussed in further detail in the past. So yeah, without a doubt. Get in to it so thank you all so much for hanging out with us we would really appreciate it if you enjoyed this show please consider telling some people out there that you liked it tell your friends write a post write a tweet uh, uh, tell your mess- fa- your Facebook groups. Yeah, tell your Facebook groups. That's a big one. Yes. Uh, other podcasters out there that you like and follow, and you'd like to see us team up with them for a special episode of yeah. some sort, reach out to them. Let them know that you would love to see Guide to the Unknown crossover with them. Yeah, we're super open to it. We've been having a really, really good time talking to other podcasters lately. So if that's something you'd like to see us do... Please help us make that happen and reach out to them. It's been hugely fun. Yeah. Uh, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I love to read them. Um, I usually end up reading one of them on the episode every episode. Mm -hmm. um, So you always have a chance of ending up mentioned on this show if you write a good one. And uh, yeah, if you want to reach out to us, we're online as well. That's right. I'm at Chillin' Kristen. I am at The Myth Traveler. So thank you all so much for sharing a bloody good time with us. Mm. 
<laughs> if I'd said that at the beginning of the episode, 50% of all yes. people would have shut it off. 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 Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next time, everybody, for more slashy goodness. But until that time comes, we must travel. Back to the netherworld. Go we. Mm. Ah, ah, here I go. There you go, everybody. Yeah. What is going on? Hi, guys. It was super fun. I'm really excited to be covering this. Yeah, I am too. Really excited. I am too.